Welcome to Spark Creators, a podcast that empowers kids to learn, create, and become. This podcast invites creators and entrepreneurs from all over to share their stories and ideas. We believe every kid is creative. It's just a matter of taking that first step and starting now. We hope this podcast can inspire you to create something that makes a difference in the world. If you want to stay inspired, remember to subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or visit us at peachandplumlab.com slash podcast. Uh, welcome to Spark. I'm the host Lee. It is great to have Ellie Zika and her dad Steve Zika to join in us today. Ellie is the founder of Kitnets and uh, Steve Zika, he is the executive director of Kitnets and uh, Christine is the curriculum development lead of Kitnets. Uh, so the Kitnets mission is to increase awareness in American youth uh, about poverty in the world and empower kids to make a difference and to change the lives uh, of women in Rwanda, Chile, Kenya, and Mexico through their yarn-making ministry. So thank you so much, Ellie and Steve, for joining us today. Um, first, could you say hi to our audience and just introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Ellie Zika. I'm a senior in high school right now, and um, I'm the founder of Kidnets. And I'm Steve. I'm Ellie's dad <laughs> and also work with Kidnets. That's great. Yeah. So, Ellie, I knew that you learned um, probably how to knit through this Girl Scout troop. So was knitting a really big part of your interest before then, or was it difficult to learn? Can you tell us a little history about yeah your knitting hobby? Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually had never knit before. I learned with my Girl Scout troop. A friend of mine's mom um, came to our Girl Scout troop one day and decided to teach us how to knit. Um, I found it a little bit difficult at first, but it was not. It's not through needle knitting. It's um, on a round loom, so it's a lot easier than needle knitting and. I didn't find it too difficult once I kept caught on and I after that I was knitting hats all the time. I knit hats for everyone in my family for Christmas gifts, for birthday gifts. I was knitting all the time. Um so although it wasn't a big passion of mine before I learned, after I had learned, it was one of my favorite things to do. Got it. Yeah. So everything started from this hobby where you love to knitting, yeah, to begin with, yeah. Uh, so Steve, great to have you here with Ellie. So can you tell us a little bit from your perspective as a parent and how did you get involved into Kidnets and also you were able to connect with people, you know, from the other side of the world, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So the whole the whole project of Kidnets started with Ellie, but the way that we became engaged and, and familiar with people in Rwanda um, was that my wife um, read a book called um, Left to Tell by Immaculate Ilibigiza and just was really touched by the story. And she asked me to read it. And we passed that book on to, to many, many different people, um, all of whom were really moved by the story of Immaculate. She was a survivor of the genocide in Rwanda in 1994. And so her story of, of faith and hope and forgiveness was just really moving to us. And so we, along with a friend, Stephen Schultz, decided to bring Immaculate, who was available as a speaker, to come to Austin, where we lived at that time. And so we invited Immaculate to come and give a speech. And then we rented out a large theater in Austin and started promoting this event. And so through that, 
connection with Immaculate, we met lots of different people who were connected with Rwanda in one way or another um, and were familiar with Immaculate as a speaker or as an author and also just the general topic of the genocide in Rwanda and the, you know, the ongoing poverty in Rwanda. So it was through that book and that connection, and we met a number of people, um, including Diana Wiley um, at that event, Diana being the one who employs the women in Rwanda who who learned how to and were developing the ability to spin this yarn. Got it. Yeah, got it. So I know today our topic is going to be uh, about the dignity of work, but uh, Ali, before we dive in, I have one more question. Um Related to the details, yeah, of like say you as a kid started Kitnet. So, what would a typical day look like for you?、Um, you know, when you go to school and you have to work on Kitnet and doing many other things together. What would the t- typical day look like for you?、Um, well, I often like to stress to kids who、um, are looking to、um, make a difference in the world that I'm really just a normal kid. I'm a normal high school senior. And when I was nine, I was a normal nine year old. I、um, went to school. I, I go to school every single day and I come home. I do homework. I, I'm on the swim team at my school, so I spend time doing that with my friends.、Um, so I really do a lot of normal, everyday kid things to do. But then on top of that,、um, we have our yarn all kept down in our basement and I spend time packing and shipping kits、um, all over the world when orders come in and When I have days off school or when I have、um, like early dismissals from school, I often go to local schools who are doing kidnets and I go in and I teach them、um, the, with our curriculum and I teach them how to knit、um, and I answer questions that they might have and just really submersed into the、um, kidnets locally. Got it, yeah. So today we're going to talk about the dignity of work.、Uh, specifically, it is about the impact that employment has created on these women who、um, make yarns you know, in Rwanda and Chile. So, does the,、uh, you know, like that, you know, how does this kind of steady work h a s changed the women's Um, you know, work and also their family lives in the other side of the world. And what kind of role does Kitnets play、uh, in this? So, Ellie, along with your dad,、um, because you guys have done so much through Kitnets, so tell us everything that you wanted to share about the dignity of work and how your family was able to create such global impact through Kitnets. When I was nine, I met Immaculate, as my dad was saying. And I, when I met her, I was like, she's really no different than my mom. How could there be so much poverty、um, in Rwanda that people just like me are having to experience? So I really wanted to do something about that. And because I had just learned how to knit,、um, I was wondering if I could make a difference through doing something that I really enjoy doing, like knitting.、Um, And in the same、um, line of things that my dad was talking about earlier, about meeting a bunch of people who had connections with Rwanda, we met Diana Wiley, who had taught women in Rwanda how to spin yarn out of wool, which was really not being used for anything、um, before they learned how to spin wool. They were really just using the sheep for the meat and for the fertilizer, and that was just the only things they were using it for. So, When I learned that they were spinning yarn, but they didn't really have a market for that yarn at all, the yarn was just sitting in piles and they, weren't, they didn't have anywhere f 
for that yarn to go. And I was like, I wonder if I could use that yarn through knitting that I love to do if I could start that business. And I was with my mom and dad on a road trip at the time and we started talking and we had all the time in the world because we were on a road trip. So we talked about it and we started developing this business model. And we we talked with Diana and we really just sorted things out and um, ended up creating Kidnets. Um, at that time, there were 10 women employed in Rwanda. And um, when I was 10, I went to Rwanda and I was able to visit those women and I got to really like live in live in their culture and experience their daily business life. I got to interact with a lot of their kids, um, which was just a lot of a lot of fun. Um, uh, then, as I came home, obviously, and Kidnets continued to grow, and Kidnets, um, we started going into schools and we created that curriculum, and really, we were able to sell a lot of yarn. Um, by buying that yarn from the women, which was giving them a job, which they, before they were hired by TVM in Rwanda, um, they didn't have the hope of having a job every single day. They had, they could possibly find a job one day a week. And on that day, they were able to get food for their kids. But when they were hired by a cement stirring company on the side of the road, they didn't know if they were going to have a job the next day. So every single night they went to sleep hoping that they'd be able to have a job. But sometimes, sadly, they went almost three days without food and their kids were not able to go to school um, because they were not able to buy uniforms, which is a requirement in Rwanda. So um, they really just had no hope for their future and for their kids' future. And because of they're hiring and spinning yarn. They are now able to go to sleep every single day and know that the next day and the next day after that, they'll be able to get up and go have a job every single day and have food for their kids and for any of their family members that they're caring for. And their kids are now able to go to school and are starting to learn English and really are getting out of the poverty cycle that is so is seen so many places nowadays. Um, currently, I traveled to Rwanda this past summer, and there are now 120 women spinning yarn in Rwanda. They now, we, we were their first com customer. Um, we were their first, um, we really taught them about that their yarn could have a market. They didn't really know that their yarn was able to be marketed in America, and we brought it into through Kidnets and through Kidnets they were able to see wow our yarn is actually popular people actually like our yarn and so they started hiring more people and started selling yarn to other places as well so through um, their expansion they're now able to support 120 women instead of just 10 which is amazing um, going back to Rwanda yeah going back to Rwanda this summer I was able to um, spend a lot of time with the women that I met when I first went um, when I was 10. And that was really incredible to see the um, great impact Kidnets has had on them because they are able to now have bank accounts where and they have kind of created a fund for all of those women. So if they were to need, like, have an emergency, they all pool into a certain um, 
accounts so that if they need to have help, they have a loaning account established among them all, which they had that idea on their own. Um, and yeah, I got to see one girl, D Diana, who is now 10, but she was three when I went um, to Rwanda a while ago. She is now in school, which is something that she would not have been able to do if her mom did not have a job. And she's now learning English, is in math classes. And I got to go into her school and kind of see that she's like really excelling in her school. She's definitely a leader among all of her friends. And just being able to see that impact that Kidnets and her mom having a job created just because of a small idea of something that I enjoyed to do, which was really incredible. Wow, what a story. Yeah, it's for sure this kind of work, you know, has created amazing impact yeah, from 10, like around two, 10 to 12 women. And then now it's like 120 women. Yeah, that their whole family was supported because of their work. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. Yeah. And how interesting is that you were interested in knitting and then you found Diana Wiley, who is actually making yarn, you know, like this kind of connection is like, yeah, it's, it's kind of random, but then sometimes it just like means a destiny where you kind of have to do that, you know, with them. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, Steve, I know uh, you and your wife has been supporting these kidnets a lot, too. So uh, this is a family business or kind of efforts together, right? Uh, what kind of role does each and every one play at kidnets? That's a really good question. So um, it is our whole family and we have three younger children than Ellie also that sometimes get involved in packing kits or, you know, helping, helping put orders together as well. Um, Kristen really took charge because she has a real heart for education and is a teacher. Kristen took charge of developing a lot of curriculum and really thinking about um, these ideas, which are really important to our family, but can easily be taught in a curriculum along with the knitting. So it turns out that when kids are knitting, they're sort of calmed down and, and, and willing to listen and open to, to these ideas, like how important it is um, to, to give people work, um, just even being aware um, of different different cultures in the world, being aware of, of, of poverty. Um, Kristen and I also started looking for some other sources of, of yarn and ended up getting connected with the women in Chile, um, who again are employed through a different organization. Um, our role is really just creating demand for that yarn um, through these partner organizations that, that provide yarn to us. So um, that was really where Kristen was focused. Um, and then I guess it's fair to say that the, the true employment on the ground in Rwanda or in Chile or, you know, in the opening, you mentioned Kenya and Mexico, where there are some other components of the craft kit, which we sell um, that are that are also produced um, in those countries. Um, so, so those organizations are primarily about providing the direct employment on the ground. So then we were thinking through Ellie's idea of you know, making these craft kits and th then what really is our role? And our role really is focused on the, the demand creation, of course, but also the education. So Kristen and I over the over the years, um, along with Ellie, have gone into just dozens and dozens of schools and taught. I think Kristen likes to say, well, I don't know exactly how many kids, but thousands of kids she has, you know, taught taught how to knit. So she has the flexibility to go during the school day when these when these schools are in session, like Ellie said, she'll go um, sometimes when she has an off day and other schools might be in session. Um, but Kristen has taught a, thousands of kids 
And in the local area, we do a lot of the teaching, but as, as Ellie mentioned, Kidnets craft kits are shipped all over the world and certainly to schools um, all over the country. So I guess our role has really been focusing on the education component and letting you know youth in America know this simple idea that Ellie started, which is you're never too young to change a life. And so kids can you know, change lives on the other side of the world just through this simple act of knitting um, because th what they're really doing is creating demand for that yarn. Um, and then I guess it's also worth saying that the yarn, once it's converted into a hat, most times the classrooms that do the Kidnets project will donate the hats locally. So maybe a homeless shelter or a hospital or you know other organizations that can use the hats um, oftentimes receive the hats. Some groups just have the kids keep their hats and Lots of individual families also purchase kits for their for their children that may just keep the hats, but it's very, very common that the impact of the project extends not just to the to the employment in in Rwanda or in Chile um, and not just to the education and trying to touch the heart of the of the youth, but also then when the when the hat is given away, um, it can extend the impact one more step. Yeah, that is just fabulous. Yeah. So Ellie, you mentioned a little bit about that you uh, went to actually um uh, Rwanda when you were young and part of the mission of Kidnets uh, is about to educating poverty you know to kids in America so uh, could you tell us like yeah a little bit more about what do you see that is different you know from countries like Rwanda and uh, Chile where um, a lot of kids who live in the U.S. probably have never you know like see that kind of poverty and yeah, like, can you tell us a little more from your own experience? Like, what kind of life does the kids and women live? Yeah. Yeah, so in Rwanda, um, my experience shows that um, they are some of the happiest people that I've ever met. Really, they are yeah, the most joyful people because they know that they have what they need and they aren't really worried about um, if having the newest iPhone or having the newest gadget, they really are just satisfied with, they have a job, they have, they're able to be with their families, they have food, they have education, and they're just so happy about that. So that's one big difference that I like to point out that although they might be in poverty, or though, although they might not be able to have all of the candy all the time or whatever, they're really very, very happy. Um, I've also noticed a lot of similarities in Rwanda and in Chile. One thing I like to see say is that um, when driving through the streets, um, you see lots and lots of soccer games going on in both Chile and in Rwanda. Just like in America, people like to play soccer. Um, in, in Chile and Rwanda, they don't sometimes have soccer balls. So I see a lot of um, kids making soccer balls out of whatever is available. I've seen a soccer ball created with a bunch of garbage bags tied together and but it's it's still a ball so they're able to play their soccer game um which is really incredible uh the kids in Rwanda and in Chile they usually only have one or two outfits that they have an outfit for normal days or their uniform for going to school and then they have usually a nicer outfit for Sundays um where as in America obviously lots of people have many many clothes um, and sometimes even then are like, I don't have anything to wear. Um, but, uh, yeah, in Rwanda, they don't, um, they're very satisfied with the meal with just a raw potato, which I've never eaten a raw potato just for lunch. But when I was in Rwanda and it was lunch break, um, during 
the business day for the women and for their kids who weren't in school because they were too young. They would grab their potato and they'd be like, yes, my potato for, um, for lunch, which is something that a lot of people in Rwanda are not able to get because they're it because it is too expensive for them um in Chile the poverty level is not quite as is a different type of poverty in, in Chile than it in in Rwanda in Chile they more of them do have houses more of them bef- before they were employed they did have houses they were able to send their kids to school sometimes but in Chile school is only free public education up until sixth grade. So a lot of the women in Chile are really um, using the their employment to send their kids to school further than sixth grade. Their kids are going to be, are able to go to high school and then even in most cases are looking to get university scholarships um, because they were able to complete high school, which is not very common in Chile. Um, but yeah, the kids in Chile and Rwanda are some of the happiest kids, and they love just playing with anything they they encounter. Walking down the streets in Rwanda, there was one boy who had created stilts out of two sticks, and he was just having the most fun just walking very tall with two sticks that he found on the side of the road. Um, and yeah, they they're they're living a different lifestyle than us in America, but... Either way, they're very, very happy. Got it. Yeah, I can tell that because of these experiences that you, your perspective is actually so different that when you come back to the Amer- to America, that your you know efforts on kidnaps has a way bigger kind of mission of connecting to the people who are really living that kind of life, you know, over on the other side of the yeah globe. Yeah. So. Uh, I learned from your website that it seems like you had two ideas of uh, about the business model for kidnets um, to begin with. The first one you were thinking about uh, just knitting hats from the yarn that um, the woman like Dinah, you know, like who have produced and then you'll buy from them in order to, for them to make a living. Yeah. And then the second one was to make the tools um, like a toolkits for knitting and to sell those crafts kits to people um, and teach them how to knit. And then they will still buy the yarns, you know, from people like Diana and, yeah, and uh, Lillian, right? So that was a brilliant idea, I think, because you have turned your single family um, effort into a whole network um, kind of efforts, yeah. So everyone now uh, who can buy this uh, kind of knit uh, toolkit can not only help, but also learn a new skill. And just like, you know, how we find satisfaction when we go buy furnitures from Ikea, we have to put them together and we feel much more, you know, ownership rather than just like buying a piece of furniture. Yeah. So can you share a little bit, you know, with us, like what kind of discussion you and your family had maybe is during that road trip? Yeah. And how did you end up creating this kind of idea, which is I think it's a really great one and a sustainable one that can really keep, you know, like the the business model rolling. Yeah. Um, yeah, so on our road trip in, um, in Utah, that was really where all of this conversation happened because there was a lot of nothing for many, many, many miles. So my original idea was just, let's te- teach my friends how to knit and we can just knit with the yarn and then maybe we could sell them and um, have a lot of fun doing it. And my parents were like, yeah, that is a really good idea, but like, what if we really taught 
more people? How could we teach more people how to knit? And because I, although I could, I am a bit, I was a big fan of knitting um, at that time when I was knitting all the time, all the time. But um, obviously at some point in time, you don't have all the time in the world to knit lots of lots of hats. So creating the kits was really going to make um, more demand for the um, for the yarn from the women. Um, going into schools, we see, as my dad said, that we've we've taught over a thousand kids how to knit. I personally, even if with the help of my friends, I would have never been able to knit a thousand hats um, um, for people buying those hats. But through teaching people how to knit and then having classrooms like a fifth grade class learning how to knit but then the next year there's another fifth grade class that's going to learn how to knit also and every single person that learns how to knit that's a ball of yarn that is bought which is a day's salary for those women which um is just as you said more sustainable and will continue having demand for those women rather than just having someone who really only needs one hat they have a hat they buy the hat and then it's done but instead they are knitting hats and then they might in that process find a hobby as I did of really really enjoying knitting and then knitting hats for your family for your friends and then maybe donating them to a shelter I think one other um, idea just to share Lee is this idea that you opened with about the dignity of work um, and in a in a really unique way when because it's a craft kit and because you know a ball of yarn is a is, is some sort of product, but it's not a finished product. So in the same way that the women in Rwanda or Chile are getting dignity through using their hands to create something of value, um, the, the best way to teach youth about the dignity of work is to give them that dignity. And so this idea of knitting a hat, it's not a trivial project. It's not extremely hard, uh, but, it, but it's not trivial and it does require um, some diligence to complete the hat. And so when, when children who have never learned how to knit before or have never knitted anything before, when they are finishing their hat, um, they themselves have dignity. They themselves are very proud of having finished something um, and have that, um, that value, which comes when you, you know, have done a job well and have completed a project and completed something you didn't know how to do before. So this idea of dignity of work of Kidnets is mirrored between the women who are producing the yarn, but also all these youth who are producing the hats. Um, and they both have created value with making something with their hands. Um, and, and that is where the dignity comes from. So that's actually, that's not the original idea we had. It was really just about sell more yarn. Then, you know, we can make that, but it turns out to be a really beautiful part of Kidnets, which has just, you know, come through time. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it is a beautiful, you know, like a mission that you created. Yeah, for um, everybody that can participate. Yeah. So give me some numbers. How many did you say how like, thousands of hats that you have done? And how many schools have you visited, you know, like or, or collaborated with you to in this cur curriculum? And yeah, what kind of maybe like how many curriculums are all, all over, you know, in different states and stuff like that? Yeah, um, gosh. So the number of balls of yarn that have been sold is over twenty thousand. I think it's a, it's almost about twenty five thousand now, um, and that's the yeah, again the the yarn from Rwanda and Chile. Um, the number of schools is probably more than a hundred schools, and some of those schools maybe just do it as as a special project for one class. 
Um, but but many schools, as Ellie said, once they institute it as you know a fifth grade service project, then those fifth graders might do the, the you know there are schools that have literally done kidnets every single year since we started, um, and yeah. so there's just this really recurring model in in the business model of of selling yarn. So um, I think Kristen and Ellie have between them personally taught a couple thousand kids how to knit hats, but because we're shipping to, I think every state and, you know, to schools all over the country, we, we obviously, I, yeah. I, I have a full-time job and Kristen is um, homeschooling our two younger kids. And so we're not traveling around the world um, teaching Kidnets. We're just teaching in our local area. Um, but the number of, of, of balls is about 20,000. It's worth saying that that's not the number of kits because it's actually quite common that once someone buys one kit and then they have the loom and the hook and the other hardware, if they want to make a second or a third or 10 hats, they just they can just buy yarn and you don't have to buy the full kit each time. So um, anyway, we, we, we really track and get value out of how many balls of yarn have sold because that's really the key component of providing the women their work. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, do you still remember the first time collaborating with the first school? And what does that feel like? Yeah. Well, the first school that we went into was my school in fifth grade. And we actually started by doing just an after school program. We wanted to see if anyone really like doing it in a classroom type environment, if that was actually going to work. Um, so we did it with about 12 or so. Um, some of my friends, some of some people in grades older than me, because I was only in fifth grade at that time. So we had fifth through eighth graders in an after school set up, um, meet um, after school for a couple of weeks. And um, yeah, ever since then, that school is still doing kidnets. Um, and we really, we tried different um, methods of teaching. We tried different um, videos that we had um, had um, worked on through um, visiting the women in Rwanda and we tried different curriculum and through that whole process my mom was doing a lot of really beautiful work on creating an amazing curriculum yeah that's great yeah so you know from the video that I saw some of the teachers were giving testimonials about your um, business and say how that has changed you know a lot of uh, the kids like I uh, awareness on on poverty and many other things yeah but do you have any like um I guess difficulties that you have gone through you know like running kidnets I know this is like a non-profit organization where you're not really chasing after you know like money or or a lot of the things other business are going after uh, so even tiny efforts I know you probably would think it's a great thing yeah so I don't know what kind of yeah like have you ever gone through any difficulties in running this Um, well, for me personally, one difficulty th going through middle school and going through high school was really um, keeping that motivation of that kidnets was really worthwhile. Um, there, there were some times where I was like, do I really want to count this large box of yarn and see how many balls of yarn there are? Or would I rather go and see a movie or something like that? Um, but through those little difficulties of being like, do I want to do this or not, but really um, overcoming that was just being able to be like, these women are worth it. They, these women are amazing. So maybe missing out on a movie and really doing this for them is totally worthwhile. Um, 
is something is a way that I've really gotten over those difficulties is just showing like, okay, why did I, why did I start Kidnits? It was to help those women. It was not, um, for the, for glory or anything like that. It was just so that I was able to help those women. And so even when it's hard, I'm able to look up at the pictures that are on our wall in the basement and be like, I'm doing it for that lady who, um, would not be able to send her kids to school or who would not be able to have, um, food for her kids or for herself. Um, but through kidnets and even if I have to count a couple balls of yarn or pack a couple kits, um, it's completely worth it for them. So, yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, because our audience is kids and parents and you as a family has like, I think has done some amazing things. Yeah. Like not only like within your family or in your community or to schools, but also like really to this level of global impact. Yeah. And do you have any last suggestions to kids maybe who also have some like little interest but also they care about some other, you know, cause and wanted to do something. And as a family too, how do you support that kind of um, passionate interest? And how can you like bound together to create something amazing, just like Kidnets, yeah, to impact other people's life? Yeah, so I um, really like to stress that um, just you're never too young to change a life, to really make a big difference. And Although for me, that was because I really enjoyed knitting. I was able to use that to help people in Rwanda and in Chile. But it's it can also be something that they also enjoy doing. So if someone really enjoys baking, if they wanted to use baking to help a um, homeless shelter, if they want to bake cookies, that is a way to make a big difference. Or if they want, if they really like using their bike a lot, maybe doing... Um, runs for a neighbor who might not be able to get out of their house a lot. Um, just finding ways to use what you really enjoy doing to serve others and to um, make a big difference is, in my way, in my idea, is just like the easiest and most fun way of making a big difference because you're using something that you have a talent for or you have a great passion for, and then are able to make a big difference and help a lot of people just through that. Steve, do you have any yeah, opinions from the family aspect? I, I think actually this this concept is in the curriculum that Kristen developed sort of one of the last ideas and one of the closing things that we always work with kids on is some of the kids that do, do kidnets may have discovered a love for knitting and they may want to buy lots of balls of yarn and we, we think that's great, but probably most of them you know, this is not their favorite thing in the world, but the encouragement to kids is to find that thing which which they are excited about and passionate about and want to do and realizing that you are never too young to change a life on the other side of the world. But that idea of the other side of the world might actually just be in your classroom or in your school or in your church or in your neighborhood. And that's perfectly, you know, that's just as valuable um, as well. And then, you know, as a parent, I guess it's, it just takes time and, and otherwise it's pretty easy to support uh, an idea when you when your kids have an idea, it's exciting to to support that and, and encourage that and help that help that to grow. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. Yes, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. So there you have it. The Zika family believes that you're never too young to change the lives on the other side of the world. 
And the other side of the world, as Steve said, it doesn't really mean like it's so far away, and it could just be communities, neighborhoods, or schools around you. It really means like it's just people who are different from you or who is living a different kind of life that may need you may need help from you. Like Ali, she used her interest of knitting to help people in Rwanda and Chile, and you can also use your passion or interest to make a difference. So talk to your family about it. Maybe you and your family can also come up with some wonderful ideas that can change the world. Again, thanks for tuning in. This is Spark by Entrepreneur Kit, where all kids are empowered to learn, create, and become. I'm your host Lee. We will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Spark Creators Podcast at PeachandPlumLab.com.